you are receiving this transmission, you are reclaiming the faith with Phil Baker on the Fourth Watch Radio Network. Network. Welcome to episode 67 of Reclaiming the Faith, a podcast with a mission to reveal what the earliest Christians believed about the core issues facing us today. I'm your host, Phil Baker. Now, let's dig into history. Hey, y'all, thank you so much for taking time to listen to Reclaiming the Faith. Thank you for praying for me and my family and my podcasting partners, BDK and Justin Fall, the Fourth Watch Radio Network. Well, episode 67 is one I'm really looking forward to y'all hearing. It's an interview I did with Phil Patillo, who is my mentor. He's worked as, he works as an engineer and a consultant. He is taught at the Bible Seminary. He is one of the godliest men I've ever been around. And man, this guy knows his Bible. I interviewed Phil in episode 67 about being a godly husband at the request of one of my Patreons. And I want to encourage you, if you want to help support Reclaiming the Faith, you can visit my Patreon at patreon.com slash Baker. And um, for $5 or more every month, you'll get two videos from me. You'll get an acoustic version of one of my original songs. You'll also get a 10 to 15 minute video about one of the early Christians or one of the earliest Christian documents. Everything that you can find for me, my new album, uh, the blog, the podcast, um, Patreon, everything you can find at philsbaker.com. So I really want to encourage you to go over there and check that out. Also, if you're blessed by this show, I really want to encourage you to go to uh, my iTunes channel, Reclaiming the Faith, and leave a positive rating and review there. That'll help others find this show as well. In 2016, I wrote a book called New Wineskins and the Simple Words of Christ. And if it's a blessing to you, also please go ahead and, and go to Amazon and leave a rating and review there. Well, as I said earlier, I'm blessed to be a part of Justin Falls' Fourth Watch Radio Network, along with BDK of Omega Frequency, who I do a monthly Q&A show with called Ready With An Answer. And if you have any questions about what we talk about here on Reclaiming the Faith or on Omega Frequency, anything on the Fourth Watch, I want to encourage you to please email me at email philsbaker at gmail.com, or you can find BDK's email on his website, omegafrequency.com. So check him out there. And finally, the early Christian quotes that I use can generally be found on the CD-ROM version of the Anti-Nicene Fathers, which you can purchase for a mere $5 on the Scroll Publishing website, scrollpublishing.com. All right, well, without any further ado, let's get episode 67, A Godly Husband with Phil Patillo, rolling. All right, Phil Patillo, thank you so much for coming on Reclaiming the Faith. My pleasure, man. Man, I think the pleasure is mine. This is something I've really been looking forward to for a while. So, man, this is great. Well, for the listeners, will you please take some time and uh, tell them a little bit about yourself? Oh, okay. Uh, born in Texas in a little town called Gladewater in East Texas. Uh, I'm from uh, 
a family of engineers. My dad was an engineer. I am. My son's an engineer, which uh, basically means uh, I don't have don't know how to uh, dress properly in public. <laughs> <laughs> uh, went to school at uh, LSU and then at uh, Notre Dame. A uh, big change. I'd never been north of the Mason-Dixon line, so the weather in South Bend was quite a bit different. Yeah, for sure. And uh, then from there, I had, uh, in undergraduate school, I had uh, worked for Amico right. uh, in the summers. And so I went to their research center in Tulsa after school. And then we came down here to Houston uh, when Amico merged with BP. Okay. I've retired from BP in uh, 2011, and I've worked as a independent contractor since then. All right. And you've done quite a bit of church work as well, while not being on a staff, per se. Right. Yeah. Um, primarily, uh, Phil, in uh, the... I detect two major spiritual gifts in uh, my life. Uh, One is giving, and uh, the other is teaching. And so uh, I've done quite a bit of uh, teaching. Yeah. And uh, I found an archive of your sermons (laughs) online that I'll put a link to in the show notes for folks, if if you don't mind, Phil, because those are a big blessing for me. Well, thanks. Yeah. The the internet has everything. Yeah. And we met a couple of years ago at a church I was working at. You were attending. You were one of the former elders of, right? No. I you weren't w- one of the elders. Yeah, I had been I had been on the leadership team before okay. they moved to elder uh leadership. And you helped write the, the elder documents. Yes, though. I did. Okay. All right. Yes. That's good to clear that up now. <laughs> and we meet every other week generally to go through Romans together. And uh, that's been a blessing for me. Oh, me too, man. Fantastic. Absolutely. Well, would you mind telling the folks a little bit about how you came to believe in Jesus? Okay. Um, uh, Again, I'm an engineer, so it's not an exciting story. (laughs) Uh, My parents uh, were of the generation that uh, this was, they weren't as open about their faith. Uh, Having become an adult with them, I believe that both of them were Christians. Okay. Uh, but I accepted uh, Jesus as my Savior when I was uh, 16, right. uh, watching Billy Graham on TV. Oh, wow. One of the Crusades. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, the, the, the immediate thing that uh, God did for me was uh, when... When I met my wife Linda, uh, she was she had just been a Christian like a week. Okay, and so both of us we did not know what a commentary was. We knew nothing except that uh, we had made this this decision in our life, but we really didn't know what to do with it, and. Um, the Lord saved us from um, some really uh, liberal, scripturally, opportunities that were offered to us and just moved us away from all of that. Wow. Physically moved us from, 
from South Bend to Tulsa. Yeah. And moved us right in next door to um, a guy that was on fire for Jesus. Mm-hmm. And uh, we started having Bible studies at his house. We we had no teacher. We would work off of uh, uh, tapes. Yeah. Uh, mainly from Dallas Theological Seminary. Okay. Uh, and until we reached a point where we started going to a Bible church and uh, then could grow in a more conventional way. Yeah, and something I forgot to mention is that both of y'all are professors. Right. At the Bible seminary, or, isn't that right? Yeah, Linda Linda is the professor. She, she teaches uh, both uh, their Bible certificate courses and their actual seminary courses. Yeah. Uh, I teach uh, one of their Bible certificate courses. Yeah, and that's fantastic. Well, would you mind telling us a little bit about how y'all met? Okay. And, and then also, like, what made you decide to, to ask her to marry you? Okay. Yeah. Um, at LSU, there were a group of um, three or four of us that would meet um, every week at the student union and have a little Bible study. Again, no commentaries, no adult supervision. Yeah. It was bad. <laughs> uh, we would just, uh, uh, we didn't discard scripture, but there are a lot of scripture we just kept reading because we had no idea what it meant. Mm. Uh, we got connected with a group from Washington and uh, at LSU in, uh, I guess this was uh, 72, there was the first kind of student prayer breakfast. Yeah. And these folks were uh, aggressive. They targeted leadership in the university, inviting them to this prayer breakfast. And we just helped them as the kind of the local contact group. Okay. Well, at that time, Linda was the president of the student union. And so she was... On their list, yeah, and it it was um, during that time that uh, she accepted Christ. Okay, and so um, after that, uh, I just uh, asked her. Went up to her office one day, kind of intimidated, going up to this office, and um, asked her out. Okay. And uh, was kind of floored when she said, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Our courtship was not something I would recommend to anyone. Uh, We, a week later, decided to get married. Four (laughs) months later, we were married. Yeah. And uh, that was just, that was a terrible thing. But God blessed it. Yeah, y'all been married for quite a while. Yes, this is um, this is um, let's see, seventy. So it's this forty nine years. Wow, <laughs> y'all gonna have to do something great for the fiftieth anniversary. That's that's awesome, man. You bet, man. Yeah. Wow. What? So in that week, what was it about Linda that made you say, "I've got to marry her"? Yeah, it was um, her maturity. Mm. Uh, she was um, both. Level-headed. Uh, by the way, her dad was an engineer, also. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> nice. And uh, she was uh, 
she was serious. Yeah. Uh, we do a lot of joking and yeah. kidding in our relationship, but uh, both of us sort of held that back mm. during our our brief courtship. Yeah. And so it was a big surprise to us. But the I think I think the thing that attracted me to her was that uh, she had these leadership uh, qualities mm. and um, I could I could just see maturity in her that um, was something I was looking for. Yeah. Oh, that's great. There was also love. <laughs> All right. <laughs> for sure. For sure. But uh, but just in in terms of characteristics, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I, I remember when I met Stephanie, and I thought she was a high schooler, and she was in her uh, senior year of college <laughs> on Thanksgiving break, and I put my foot in my mouth pretty bad there. But I remember just watching the way that she would interact with some of the students in my youth group that were kind of on the fringes, and um, the way that she loved them. And, oh, cool! Uh, was taking like a leadership without being told, just going and like setting the the example for so many people out of love, and it was convicting to me because I felt like I did not love Jesus the way that she did, and oh, I did not cool. love people that way either. And I was, man, I have to be with someone like that. So it kind of sounds like you know the Holy Spirit inside of Linda was attracting you. Yes, right. Yes. Yeah. No, that's a good way to put it, man. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, um, so one of my uh, Patreon subscribers is responsible for getting this episode together. He, he asked me a while back if I could talk about um, how husbands should treat their wives and balance their walk with the Lord with a physical job or career. And I was like, man, I know the right guy to ask about <laughs> this because I've only been married almost 12 years. That's not very long, you know. So, um, Phil, what, what would you say to, to that, that man? Uh First, Phil, I'd tell him, great question. Right. Um, and uh, I've, I've thought about this question. Um, my answer may not be what, uh, what he was expecting, but for me, it is, it is the answer. Mm. Um, it's going to take a while um, for me to kind of lay this out. Yeah, you go ahead. Uh, um, what I'd like to do, I'd like to start in uh, the book of Deuteronomy okay. in uh, chapter 6. All right. Uh, Deuteronomy's, uh, I'm in a Bible study with some folks right now in Deuteronomy, and uh, it's, it's a terrific book. You, it's a pretty big uh, commitment to walk into it, but... Um, Jesus seemed to like it quite a bit. That's right. He quoted it. <laughs> Pretty frequently, I think it's like Deuteronomy and Psalms that he quoted the most, right? I think it's right. I yeah. think uh, I think Psalms and then Deuteronomy. Yeah, used Deuteronomy uh, during his temptation. Mm -hmm. uh, so yes, uh, in in chapter six of Deuteronomy, there are three verses in a row that have commands. Mm. Uh, verse four, the Shema: Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one, or as some translations say, the Lord alone. Mm. Uh, this is perhaps the most important verse 
uh, to Hebrews. Uh, they, as I understand it, recite this twice a day. Mm. It's often the last words that you'll hear a Hebrew say. Yeah. Uh, and and it to me it encompasses uh, what Paul was concerned about in Romans one eighteen when he talks about the truth being suppressed. I think this is the truth that, mm. that God is the paramount presence in the universe. Yeah. Uh, so our first command in verse four is here. Yeah. Uh, the second verse we're all familiar with the great commandment. Yeah. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Mm. So uh, here the command is love. Mm. Uh, the one we don't, we're not usually familiar with, but that's important is in verse six. And this is the verse, I think, that gets to the heart of this question about uh, life balance. Mm. Uh, and these words, which I am commanding you today, shall be on your heart. Mm. Uh, so this one is sort of a do yeah. commandment. Uh, a big question here, um, and these words, what, what words? You could just take this to be verse five, the immediate context, the great commandment. Right. Uh, you could also spread your context out a little. This is verse uh, chapter six. In chapter five, we have the Ten Commandments, sometimes yep. called the words, the yeah. Ten Words. He, he could be talking about that. Yeah. Or if we go all the way back to Deuteronomy chapter one, uh, the Hebrews had this practice of naming the books of the Bible after the first words in the book. And the book of Deuteronomy begins, these are the words. Yeah. So this verse six in chapter six could be saying the whole book of Deuteronomy are mm. the words yeah. that, that need to be obeyed. Yeah. So with that, with that background, in verse four, we've got here. In verse five, we've got love. In verse six, we've got do. Mm. If we take those three things, I think we can get to the answer we're looking for by going to the book of Mark. Uh, Mark chapter 10. So Jesus is uh, on a journey, and uh, we pick up the story in, in verse 17 of Mark 10. Okay. This man approaches Jesus, and he asks him the question, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Um, and then after sort of correcting his question, in verse 19, Jesus just starts to list the commandments. Uh, and you can, if you picture this man, you can just imagine uh, a, a sense of relief coming over him. <laughs> He's thinking back to Deuteronomy 6.6. 6, yeah. These words which I'm commanding you today shall be on your heart. And he's thinking, I've done it. Yeah. Okay. And so he actually says that to Jesus uh, in verse 20. I've kept all these things from my youth up. Yeah. And then we come to the verse that changes his life. And looking at him, Jesus felt love for him and said to him, one thing you lack 
Go and sell all your possessions and give it to the poor and you shall have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Mm. Uh, I think essentially what Jesus is telling this man is you've been looking at the wrong commandment. Mm. You've spent your life concentrating on Deuteronomy 6, 6 mm. when you should have been looking at Deuteronomy 6, 5. Mm. Because this challenge that he gives the man, go sell everything, yeah. is love the Lord your God with all. Yeah. Uh, and so this is where I come in the, in the question that's before us. Uh, I'm afraid I don't, uh, it, it, it has no meaning in my relationship with Linda, for example, to talk about uh, balance, mm. or I think, you know, the phrase today is work-life balance. Mm-hmm. I don't think there is any balance. Mm. I think the overriding thought to us should be Deuteronomy 6.5, the great commandment. Mm. If I do that, then all of these other things will fall into place. Yeah. Uh, a concern in my life that I find myself falling into is trying to checklist commandments in the Bible. Huh. And as soon as I do, uh, among just from the fact of God sooner or later revealing to me, uh, Phil, that's legalism essentially, right? Uh, is the fact that uh, I end up with commands that perhaps appear to contradict each other. Mm. And uh, because of uh, Romans chapter 8, because of the fact that we're in a fallen world, I don't always know what the right answer is, which one to pick. Mm. So I think the answer to the question is don't worry about balance. Um, worry about Deuteronomy 6.5, the great commandment. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these other things will just fall into place. I've known guys, uh, for example, in the military that were gone quite a bit of time, but they could still have a meaningful relationship with their wife by making their time quality time. I've known guys that uh, were home every night for supper, mm. uh, but carried their work home with them. And so the the balance was re- really not a balance. Mm. I think the answer is love Jesus. Uh, Sell out to Jesus and let him guide you in in the the unique relationship that you have with your wife. Yeah. So I'm trying to put myself in, um, in this guy's shoes. Yes. And I don't know what kind of shoes he wears, but I'm just imagining... um, what is, and I'm sorry for not putting this in the, in the notes, so, but, but what would be like one step that he could take? Um, that like just a general piece of advice. If, you're, if he's being told to seek first the kingdom of God, mm-hmm. sell out to Jesus, what's, what's one thing that he could do, start doing today? Great. Um, for me, 
it would be um, working on this working on this concept of selling out to God. Uh, I can say I love God, uh, but up to what point? Yeah. Um, yeah. Since their inception, I was and, and still am a fan of the uh, New Orleans Saints football <laughs> team. Okay, nice. a lot of rough years in there. <laughs> and so, uh, what do I what do I do when playoff time comes? In the old days. Uh, when there was no chance the Saints were ever going to be in the playoffs. Right. Well, I'd pick a couple other teams that I liked almost as much, and I'd follow them in the playoffs yeah. and hope for next year. Right. Uh, that's not selling out to the Saints. Right. The selling out to the Saints would be the end of the season. They're not in the playoffs. I'm turning the TV off, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, I would. I would say... Uh, in prayer with God, contemplate what it means to sell out hmm. to God. Yeah, um, the kind of the kind of commitment that uh, we see Abraham making when when God makes this ridiculous promise to him. Yeah, Abraham believes him. Hmm. Um, it's not. I, I know there are more practical things to do. Uh, but I'm afraid anything practical I can think of becomes, again, a checklist. I, I think the big deal is um, a, an honest communication with God. Lord, show me what it means to sell out to you. And again, I think that will solve the other problems. Right. No, that's, that's very practical. Okay. Yeah, that's very good. Um, so what's some advice that you would give to an unmarried man who desires to be married? Great. Because I know there are a lot of them out there that, <laughs> like I'm in, in community with online. Okay. Yeah. Okay. We're really seeking a godly wife. Yeah, you know? yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, two words Two words come to my mind here, uh, and the, you could kind of put them in one sentence. That would be to look for a woman who loves Jesus. Mm-hmm. Okay, now, uh, maybe I need to give a little more detail here. The two, two, the two words in that sentence that are important to me are woman and uh, Jesus. Uh, if I'm um, looking by perhaps interacting at uh, at uh, church or something with with uh, single women, and uh, some girl attracts my attention, uh, and we begin to um, know each other better, uh, I would. Pay attention to to me. When do I think of her as a woman, and not uh, particularly if I'm a young guy, say college guy or something, not a girl, mm-hmm. not a gal. Uh, at what point, or for which girl, 
do I see maturity? Uh, I know that, you know, when Linda and I got married, that's our early 20s. So we still had a lot of growing to do. But uh, as I mentioned earlier, I could see the potential in Linda um, for being someone that could grow with me and not just, say, under me or something like this. Mm. Uh, so the, the first thing I would say is uh, when, when I start thinking of this other person as a woman, mm-hmm. that would be good. Yeah. Uh, the other part, I think, Phil, is uh, a woman who loves Jesus. Um, I want to hopefully not offend anyone here. Um, there, there are a lot of folks that go to church. There are a lot of folks that um, recognize some sort of higher authority. Uh, you'll hear phrases like the big man upstairs, things like this, yeah. you know. Uh, I would look for a girl who uses the word Jesus because then I know that uh, her interaction with our personal God is on the sort of level that would... Um, would define her as a Christian. Yeah. That's a, man, that's a great answer, Phil, and tying it back into that maturity and loving Jesus. And um, it, it was making me think too about the, um, not, not trying to compartmentalize things, but looking for a woman who's like sold out also to Jesus. Yes, man. She's not two different people at home or with her family or with you. I mean, it, that theme of loving Jesus just is pervasive everywhere. Oh, that's, that's great, man. Uh, Phil, now that you say that, I, I think there should be some point uh, in a courtship where the, the two people can actually say to each other, sorry, but I love Jesus more than I love you. Right. And that's that's the germ, the seed of a of a successful relationship. Mm. That's really good. I mean, that's like a, if you can say that, you're you're really putting a check on idolatry there. Oh, cool. You, you know, you're, you're going back to Deuteronomy six. You're showing that your allegiance is to Him. Oh, cool. Right? Yes. That that's man. That's really good advice. Well, what what kind of advice would you give to a newlywed man? Okay. Maybe in like whether it be in the honeymoon phase, you know, year one, year two, or in that uh, reality phase, two to seven, where the majority of divorces that are going to happen, happen in that, that time, right? Great. Yeah. Um, um, uh, again, I have two things here. Um, number one, and and I think Linda would would my wife would say the same thing on this. Uh, perhaps the most important thing to forty nine years is trust. Mm. Um, I can honestly say that when Linda says something to me, uh, 
it never crosses my mind, uh, does she have some kind of an agenda? Uh, is there something secret I'm supposed to pick up from this or something like that? Uh, and that's a really comfortable position to be in. Uh, when our kids were growing up, um, we would come down on them hard uh, for anything like a lie. And and again, trying to build in them uh, this this habit of of trust. Mm. Um, there's a there's a lot of things you can say about this word cling that appears in uh, Genesis two twenty four. I mean, it goes all the way from just pieces of dust that are coagulated with water to uh, Deuteronomy, I believe, chapter ten, speaking of it in terms of our relationship with the Lord. Uh, but to me, a major component of clinging would be trust. From from day one, decide um, that uh, we're, we're going to be honest with each other. Mm. Um, so that would be number one. Uh, number two... Uh, at which I have failed miserably, uh, is uh, make it a project to find uh, what pleases her. Uh, Linda is much better at this than me. And and particularly um, this time of year as we're coming into the holiday season, uh, she is a much better gift giver than I am because uh, I usually try to find something to give her that makes me happy. <laughs> and <laughs> whereas, whereas she gives gifts that make the other person happy yeah. you know, as they're intended. <laughs> oh, that's great. Um, that's, that's tough because uh, one thing I've learned is um, I know nothing about being a female. We have had conversations. One one that um, really just floored me was we were talking one day and Linda told me that there were times when she would get on an elevator and then if the next person on the elevator and the only next person on the elevator was a man, uh, she would get off the elevator. Uh, I don't think... In this particular example, I don't think we men realize how uh, size and strength can be an intimidation. Mm. Uh, so, so just just things like that that are you, you may have to dig for a little, but uh, there are going to be some some um, some women uh, like jewelry. Some women um, are more happy with compliments, just just a compliment, um, respect. Whatever uh, you detect is um, important to your wife, I think is something uh, that's worth driving home. Yeah. Uh, there's one thing that goes somewhere in this category between dating and actually moves up into this 
this two to seven year period, the, the danger period. Yeah. Uh, I'm looking at First uh, Peter okay. chapter three. All right. Peter speaking to uh, women, and uh, in uh, verse three he says, "And let not your adornment be external only, braiding the hair, wearing gold jewelry, and putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart." with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. Um, I would guess, I'm, in fact, I feel pretty confident about this, that if you ask any guy who has been married, say, more than 15 years, uh, what are the three things that... Um, most impress you about your wife, I, uh, I would bet that they're not physical things. Mm. They're things like um, her honesty, her courage. Um, one, one for me is I'm convinced Linda loves me more than I love her mm. just because she is more sacrificial mm. in our relationship. And so, uh, there has to be more than just the physical attraction that many of us allow to get a relationship started. Uh, and I can guarantee you that when a man and woman have been together for some period of time, uh, those will become the important things. Yeah. Man, that's good. Um, so I was wondering, in addition to the two things you said about uh, how to build trust, you, you talked about actually like speaking truth, right? Right, being honest, right. how important that is, not having hidden agendas, not trying to manipulate that kind of stuff, right? And then you also spoke about uh, really getting to know her, seeking like what her love language is and, you know, modern language. Does, does she receive, does she interpret love through, through compliments, you know, kind words? Or does she interpret love through uh, acts of service? How does she, because the way I receive love is probably not going to be the way that she does. And so like if <laughs> right. I'm expecting her to, to make that connection, that's kind of unfair. So like in addition to those, those two things, what are some, what's maybe one more way that we can help build trust and create an environment of trust with, um, with our, our wives? So that, that helps this like clinging and cleaving thing happen. No, great man. Uh, oh, and Phil, you're right. And again, talking about this, um, this period of crisis in a marriage, uh, clinging uh, at some point there there is going to be an outside force that attacks a relationship mm. and uh, if we're not together husband and wife uh, that can be a big problem yeah that outside force could be um, another man or woman could be money, but whatever the case. Um, the, the other place that's, uh, that's taken me a long time 
to uh, work into, and, and I, I still don't feel like I'm there, is um, not appreciating enough uh, the person that Linda is that is different from me. Uh, for example, uh, Linda likes to um, think out loud. Okay, now I'll find myself, if we're in a discussion, I'll find myself, uh, well, can't I say anything that you don't have some comeback to? You know, right. And all she's doing is processing hmm. uh, my statement out loud so I can hear it. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so it's, there's, there's a, um, there's an aspect of the relationship that um, I try not to go near, and that is uh, changing her. Mm. Number one, I can't do it. Uh, short of, um, you know, physically attacking your wife, how are you, you going to make her do anything? Yeah. But uh, more importantly, that's not even the problem. I find invariably, if I have a problem with Linda, uh, the problem's with me. Hmm. And there, there's always going to be some, some uh, companion to anything that I find uh, bothers me in Linda that is a problem in me. Hmm. I can work on that, and uh, usually... Uh, that solves the issue I had. So, so uh, yeah, if, if there were a third thing I would think is important is uh, I'm going to work on Phil. Uh, Linda will work on Linda. Man, that's, <laughs> that's great advice. Like That was making me think about James 1 when it kind of talks about God's word being like a mirror to us, like oh, it's showing cool. us that. Right. And like, I remember being in the first couple of years of marriage and seeing things that I was like maybe frustrated with about Stephanie. But really what that was, what, what God helped me see is, man, like you're seeing things in yourself. These are things that you need to change about you, Phil. Oh, cool, Phil. Yeah. 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 That's, that's really good. Because the easier way is just to, to, Put that all on someone else, and it you know, even back in like college when we were with roommates, the same kind of thing happens when right. you're in close quarters with someone. And yeah, that's great, man. Well, let's let's go to a little bit lighter subject. <laughs> that's really cool. So y'all have uh, y'all have been to Israel how many times? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, it's uh, too many to count. Yes, uh, Linda started going, I believe, in 1980. Yeah. Um, and she goes once or twice a year. Uh, there is a group of men there that uh, have this project to find uh, Hebrew underlying the Greek of the Gospels as we have them. And uh, she has worked with one of those gentlemen uh, that we've been friends with them for uh, years. And so sometimes the trips are just study trips. Sometimes uh, she may go for uh, four to six weeks and work with him. 
Yeah. Um, and y'all have jointly led trips or it's more Linda doing like the leading a tour. Yeah. We have, we have uh, found the spots most suited for us. Linda is leader. I'm the sheepdog. Nice. I'm I'm usually at the rear, <laughs> you know, pushing people along. It's a lot of walking. <laughs> but she is she she will usually lead the trips. Okay. So what is your favorite place to visit there and why? Okay. Um it, you know there's some there are some locations, particularly in Jerusalem, where you can say uh, Jesus was right here. I, I think of the southern steps of the temple, for example. Mm-hmm. You can say Jesus sat here and taught his disciples. Yeah. You know? Actually, though, the my two favorite spots are at either end of the uh, country. One is uh, Hatzor, which was primarily a Canaanite city. And then at the other end is um, a city called Arad, which was another one of these non-Israelite places. Uh, the reason I like those two places, uh, I've, I read a lot of history, a lot of military history. Uh, and uh, one time we made a big loop in the United States up, and and uh, Linda just let us stop at every place we could could that was having anything to do with the Civil War. Yeah, Gettysburg was great for me. Antietam was better. Gettysburg is um, a wonderful place, but it's crowded. Yeah, Antietam. Uh, we got a ranger to walk the battlefield with us. That's awesome. And this this person, like, if he was older, I would have said he was there. I mean, he right. had read so much on it. Wow. And and that was that was fantastic. Yeah. Uh, that's the same way I feel about Hatsor and Arad is um, they're pristine in the message you can you can see them deliver. Uh, the the altar like places, the holy of holy like places you mm-hmm. can find in a rod, for example. Uh, Hatsor, this this um, sort of leading metropolis of the north that Joshua just walked over. Yeah, you know. Uh, you think back both both ends of the country to those places they were uh for their time metropolises they are no more yeah uh their their whatever grandeur they might have had was a worldly grandeur and just the the beauty of the desolation of these places always grabs me yeah wow that kind of, I mean, it made me think of Romans 1 again. You know, we oh, can, yeah. If, if we're not about the right thing, the only thing, him, you know, making him our number one thing, all we get is 20 years, 80 years, 
you know, and then it, it doesn't matter how grand it is. It's all for nothing. It was like wasted. Right, right. Um, and while all the while God has been revealing himself to us in such clear ways that we can understand we're without excuse. Um, I think it's so awesome that, you know, y'all, even though, like, even though you're an engineer, you're clearly more about Jesus than engineering. Even though you've written books on engineering, (laughs) that's, I, I didn't know Phil the engineer when I met you. I was like, Phil is all about Jesus. That's that's what came through. Oh, praise God. Man. Yeah, man. So that's great. And another another thing that y'all do, y'all are very passionate about missions, particularly in Argentina. Right. So would you mind telling us a little bit about that mission work that y'all do in Argentina? Um, maybe tell the story about that spontaneous worship that happened after one of your messages. Right? Okay. And maybe if there's any way that people could get involved, I don't know. If okay. you can like talk about that, yeah. Um, uh, I uh, sometimes the the thing we can never convince the folks in Argentina of is that we gain much more from trips down there mm-hmm. than they gain from having us. Uh, the people of Argentina love Jesus. Uh, they will travel hours to reach a church service um, and their their commitment is uh, just humbling mm. to me to see it it just it lifts me up every time I'm there to see uh, how these people are dedicated to the Lord the the church that we work with, um, is a uh, denomination local to uh, Argentina. There are about uh, a little over 200 churches, and uh, I'm going to say roughly a little over 100,000 people spread in these churches. They are They fan out from the 12 larger cities in the nation, with the, with there being a, a larger city church and then satellite churches, this is uh, and has been uh, Linda's ministry. I'm sort of a camp follower. Uh, she has been going there again from from the '80s and um, met the uh, head, the gentleman who's the head of that church, uh, while in seminary. Mm. Uh, he he himself is another example to me. I have seen him work through uh, crises in the church and always from a worldly viewpoint, he comes out the loser. His generosity and um, the way that the way that he can humble himself to people who uh, are, are are wrong mm. uh, is just amazing. Mm. Uh, some of the things that uh, the church does are amazing. Uh, they they've reached a point where once a year now they will target somewhere in the country uh, either a small 
a town or a small section of a larger town, and for a week, they will uh, love that group of people. Mm. Bring bring in supplies for them, um, witness to them, uh, do everything that they can. And the amazing the amazing thing about Argentina is. Uh, more often than not, they have the cooperation of the local government. Mm. The mayor will be at these meetings and so forth um, because of what he sees them doing for the people. So it's just a fantastic witness. Uh, and many people come to know Jesus through yeah. these types of, of ministries. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what do we do, Linda and I? Uh, two two things. The first one is mostly Linda. Uh, Linda's spiritual gifting includes um, prophecy and word of wisdom, and Linda will often work as a sort of a spiritual counselor with the leadership in in the churches. Um. Both of us will help them in teaching. Uh, Argentina, and I would say this applies to most of South America, uh, we don't realize how rich we are in the United States in biblical resources, Mm. Uh, commentaries, uh, all all these sorts of things. their translations of scripture are excellent. The the existing Spanish Bibles, uh, but they there aren't a lot of commentary like material. And not only do we have this luxury of resource, but in the United States we also have the luxury of um, available time. Mm. Uh, because of the economy and so forth, a lot of the a lot of the folks that are uh, uh, in the churches uh, spend most of their time working. Most most services will start, whereas our services may start at at six or something. If we were holding some sort of a weekly meeting in the United States, they're start at eight, mm-hmm. so that their people can finish work. Yeah. And take the hour or so it takes to get to the to the church. Wow! Uh, but once you're there, it is a wonderful experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are things that, from my Baptist background, I would say, oh, those have probably ceased. Uh, I don't think they've ceased anymore. Yeah. Uh, I've seen uh, people who are blind see. I've seen people come to meetings in wheelchairs and walk home. Uh, and it's it's all done by the church. When healings are done, the church prays as a corporate body mm. and expects something to happen. Yeah. So, so again, man... Um, we consider it a privilege to be uh, for 
for this friend of Linda's to open the arms of the church to us and allow us to go there because it's just wonderful. Yeah. What we do is we um, pick a subject. Um, what does it mean to be lost? What does it mean to be saved? Marriage, we've done one on marriage. Uh, and we will write, we will dig through the commentaries, write a 40-page or so booklet and have it translated. And then when we go down there, we will, um, on a Saturday usually, they'll pull in their leaders, we'll have a seminar, and then for the rest of the year, while we're preparing next year's material, that material will disseminate down through the layers of the church. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> so, so uh, back... I'm, I'm getting to your next question. Um, uh, this year we went, and um, this year we had two sermons that were fairly long. Um, my mine, for example, if I remember, I went about an hour and a half. Um, and there's translation going on, of course. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> And uh, um, at the end of a, of a sermon, uh, we will make two calls. One will be a call to accept Jesus as your Savior. And uh, then once those people have come forward and, and then been escorted to um, a separate room where, where they can ensure that the folks know what they just did, uh, we'll make a second call uh, just for people who need ministry. Uh, Linda and I were there three weeks every night doing these messages in the churches. We got to the last night. Uh, a large part of my message this uh, year was on the great commandment, all. Mm. And so we have these folks up there for um, ministry, we minister to them, we pray for them, and there's this this moment of just uh, silence mm-hmm. when you have this uh, I don't know hundred more people up in the front in front of the uh, platform, and just giving the people a time to to uh, bathe in the, the Holy Spirit working in their lives. And then from the crowd, in Spanish, some one person starts singing, I surrender all. Mm-hmm. And uh, two or three um, lines into that, someone else picked it up. And by the end, you've got, you've got the whole church just uh, praying to God through song, through this song. Um, it was just that sort of thing uh, makes the whole trip worthwhile, you know? Yeah. That's so neat that y'all provided that time of silence. 
Oh. That's that's not exactly something that's <laughs> Facebook live friendly. <laughs> you know, it oh, doesn't right. look good on camera just to have nothing going on. But it is something going on. It's something very intentional going on. Uh, that was making me think about, you know, Elijah up in the mountain and God's not in oh, great. the fire, the earthquake. He's in the sound of sheer silence or however you want to still small, you know, whatever. And so it's, it's pretty neat. Y'all provided that time. And it's in that, that God did something really neat. Yes. Yeah. You know, and, um, wow. And, and the song choice that comes out too. Yeah. I surrender all working right in line with your message of all loving God with all. Right. And, um, I think like, uh, you know, repentance is not something we only do at conversion. You know, it's, it's, we're supposed to live this life of repentance. I mean, that's kind of like this surrendering all is something we have to keep coming back to dying daily. Oh, cool. You're going to say something? Uh, no, just along what you were saying, Phil, the, yeah, the thing that strikes me and, and with, with this sort of thing is that, that Jesus is not some sort of tribal God. Jesus is the God. And when you're in this place that's not home, and these people are uh, thinking, praying just like you, it's another um, culture, it's another voice, but it's the same message, the same Lord. Mm. It just gives you some idea of... uh, what the way is all about. Mm. That's a, that's awesome, man. That's awesome. And thank you so much for uh, taking time to do this interview, Phil. That was a big blessing for me. And I think it's going to really help a lot of, a lot of people out there, not just men. So. Oh, thank you, Phil. This was my pleasure.
Give doors to the fiercest storms of winds. 